Welcome to the Gathering Church Podcast. We are so glad you're joining us today. For more info about The Gathering, you can check out thegathering.online. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Here's today's message. This morning, we are finishing up our three-week series on the book of Jonah. And I've entitled it for you to keep it in your memory, the book of Jonah. It's a very simple title to help explain what we're talking about. And I hope, has this series helped anyone? Has this been helpful to anybody? Two or three people? Good. I'll keep going. Um, we are in our three-week series, and this book has been really challenging for me. Uh, I'm, I'm not preaching this. I'm not, as I'm writing this and researching it, I'm learning. I'm learning alongside you, and it's been a lot to learn. Uh, we're talking about Jonah, the, the rebellious prophet who hears from God and then chooses to run away from God. He chooses self-reliance, he chooses comfort, and that leads him to a dark place. We talked about in the dark places that we go through sometimes in life uh, last week. Unfortunately, in the dark place, he cries out to God, and God meets him there. How many of you are thankful that God meets you in your dark places? I was reading a book recently, it might have been the book from one of our small groups, that says some people in our uh, belief in concepts of religion... We believe God's up on the mountain, and we have to get up there. We have to strive and struggle to get up there to get to God. But, you know, God is on the mountain, but he is also with you right now in your struggle. As you're trying to climb out of situations, as you're trying to get through difficulties, he is with you right now. And God is with Jonah in that moment, and he eventually brings him to Nineveh to bring a word of warning to the Assyrian people. And they hear this message and they respond with repentance. If you remember last week, we ended with God's warning that in 40 days, he would overthrow Nineveh. Now, thankfully, that word overthrow can also mean to overturn. And the people choose to turn over towards God rather than to be overthrown and destroyed. In chapter 3, it says the king of Nineveh declared that everyone humble themselves and fast and call out mightily to God. This shows that Nineveh was, they were serious about repenting. It wasn't a, I'm sorry. It was, forgive me, change me, help me to turn away from doing these things and turn towards you, God. And let's look at how God responds in the last verse of chapter 3. Verse 10, it says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So the people of Nineveh, they've repented for their sins, they've turned to God. I mean, an entire nation is saying, essentially has turned to God because of Jonah's message. I mean, that's amazing, right? That's a testimony of how God can partner with imperfect people. How God can deliver us from the darkness into the light to share the good news of God's mercy and grace. Man, what it must have felt like in that moment for Jonah, right? I bet Jonah chapter 4 is all about Jonah praising God, right? He's thanking God that he's, he's ready to move on to his next assignment. He's clearly proven himself to be a workman for God, right? Right? Yeah, let's read what Jonah chapter 4, the, the first verse says. What, Jonah's excited. He, and it says, he's, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. 
angry. This man has just communicated a life-threatening word from the Lord, and by all means of measurement, he has been successful, and yet not only is he not happy, not joyful, he's angry. He's furious. And there's a message here about how you can be successful in life and yet still be unhappy. It's not what we're going to talk about today, but that's definitely a message that you could take from that. Jonah is angry, and he lets God know it. Read, read verse 2 with me. And Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Now here we come to the reason why Jonah ran away in the first place in chapter 1. We come to the heart of the problem. Today's message is called the heart of the problem. A lot of times when we have issues and we have problems in life, it, it takes some time to really weed out all, all the junk, all the stuff, and find out, okay, what's actually the heart of the problem here? Let's get to the heart of it. I want to show you three things that we can do to get to the heart of the problem and move past it. Jonah's response here is, it's kind of comical. Remember I said in week one, this story is full of satire. It's full of irony. I just love how I picture the story in my head is Jonah yelling at God, angry for the incredible attributes of God. Does anybody else see the irony of that? I knew you'd be merciful. Thank you for being so compassionate. What a loving God. It's like, God's like, now nothing surprises God, obviously, but I, I imagine God responding like, I'm sorry, are you angry at me for having mercy and grace and steadfast love? Is that really what you're upset about? Loving these people? You're, you're mad about that. Jonah is so upset. He's so mad, in fact, that he tells God, just take my life. I'm done. I, I, it'd be better for me to die than to live. And this is what God responds. Read the next verse, verse 4. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? And getting to the heart of Jonah's problem, God does not give him answers. He actually starts by giving him a question. Sometimes when we get to the heart of the problem, we need to start, number one, we need to start by asking good questions. Asking good questions. Have you ever read through a discussion guide? You know, you've, you've read a portion of the book, and then, and then you get to the discussion guide, and you get to the questions, and you read these questions, and you're like, I don't even understand what that question's asking me. What is that even saying? And then you read down to, you know, skip down a few questions, you get to question seven, you're like, how is question seven different than question one? These are like the same questions. I don't, this doesn't make any sense to me. Have you had that problem? Try writing questions. It is so difficult to write questions that people can respond to and have an answer for. But when you write a good one, when you hear a good one, you say, wow, that's a good question. 
I haven't thought about that before. That's, that's a good question. It makes you think. It makes you ponder. There was a movie that came out uh, quite a while ago called iRobot. Did anyone see this mediocre sci-fi film? Yeah, not just me. Good. And it, I'm sorry if you love it. Listen, it's, it's, got, it's got great things about it, okay? And it's got Will Smith, so you have to watch it, right? And in this movie, Will Smith is playing this detective. He's investigating a murder that could have possibly happened because of a robot. But these robots have three laws that kind of govern and guide them to say that there's no way they could commit a crime. They, they could not do this. And the murder is of a, um, it's a doctor, Dr. Lanning, I believe, and Dr. Lanning left this kind of holographic projection that Will Smith can take around with him and, and fire it up, and it would play this projection, and he can ask certain questions. Now, not everything can the hologram respond to. He would say, I'm sorry, my responses are limited. You must ask the right questions. And after some dialogue back and forth, the detective would finally ask a question, and the doctor would say, that detective is the right question. Are you asking good questions? There is an article in the Harvard Business Review that says the biggest complaint, the most common complaint that people have in a conversation can be a conversation, anything from an interview to a, a first date to um, a work meeting. The biggest complaint is, I wish they would have asked me more questions. Questions help us to learn more about the person. It shows that we care to learn, that we care to connect with someone. And we all want to ask good questions. You might say, well, how do I ask good questions? Just start by asking more questions. The more questions you ask, you will find good questions when you ask them. Because asking good questions, they lead us to answers and solutions. I don't know about you, but a lot of times when God and I are talking, he will answer my question with his own question. Don't you hate it when he does that? It's almost his way of saying, no, how about you think about this for yourself? I'm not going to spoon feed you everything in life. And you retain things more when you process them out yourself. God is asking a question to Jonah in this, more, in this moment saying, are you okay? Like, Jonah, are, are you good? You good? Do you have a reason to be angry right here? God asks questions. If you look through the Bible, how many times does he ask people questions? From, from the beginning of time, Adam and Eve, when they sin, sinned, God said, where are you? Adam and Eve, where are you? Who told you that you were naked? He asked, what is this that you have done? Remember when Cain killed his brother, God didn't say, why have you killed your brother? He said, where's your brother at? He wanted him to admit it for himself. We saw this through Jesus when he lived on this life, right? Jesus was the master at asking good questions. There's a time when the chief priests, they came to him to try to trap him in his words. And they asked him the question, John, or they asked him the question, by whose authority do you do these things? By whose authority are you healing people? Are you preaching and teaching? And Jesus said, I'll answer your question if you answer my question. He says, John the Baptist, was his work from heaven or was it from man? 
and the chief priests feel stuck, and they kind of they get together to talk it through. They're like, well, if we say it was from heaven, then he's going to ask us, why didn't we believe him then? And, and if we say it was from man, then this crowd right here, they all believe in John the Baptist. They, they might kill us. They might stone us to death because they believe in John the Baptist. So they're trapped, and they turn to Jesus and say, we don't know. Jesus says, I'm not going to answer your question then. Asking a question instead of responding to a question got Jesus out of a very difficult situation. I think about a lot of times where Jesus would ask questions like, who do you say that I am? He, remember when he asked, you really would, betray, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Remember when Saul was on his way to Damascus and he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Asking good questions. Jesus escaped traps by questions. God always asks questions to gain perspective and understanding. And in the moment with Jonah, God is asking Jonah, God is asking Jonah, is there really a good reason for you to be angry right now? I'd encourage you, if you want to develop a good life skill, it'll help you in work, it'll help you in relationships. Learn to ask good questions. And the question that God asked Jonah is so relevant, and I'll explain that a little bit later. But Jonah doesn't want to respond to this question. In fact, he gets up and leaves. Let's read the next portion, 5 and 6. It says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So Jonah doesn't respond to God's question. Instead, he leaves the city and he sits up this kind of this shelter that he creates. So Jonah goes out of the city essentially sets up a hammock to sit there and wait, hoping to watch God destroy the city. Like, he, he's literally waiting, hoping to see fireworks of the city. And while he's doing that, it says God appoints a plant to shade him, to save Jonah from his discomfort. And then Jonah is exceedingly glad. This is such an amusing situation. Again, you've got to think about the irony, the comedy of the story of Jonah. Because Jonah's kind of acting like a child, right? He runs away, he, he prays in the fish, he goes and speaks the word of the Lord to the people. The people repent, Jonah gets angry, he gets grumpy, he leaves, he's pouting, and then he's content with shade, the smallest thing that God gives him. Now listen, that being said, I can relate to enjoying some shade from the sun, okay? Like, whenever I'm at the pool or at the beach, you better believe this white boy is constantly looking, actively searching for the shade to protect myself from getting burnt, all right? You know, give me the spot in the shade, give me the spot under the umbrella, because if I don't get that spot, I'm not going to last out there in the sun more than about 15 minutes. I'm, I'm going to be done. So Jonah is sitting there, and he's, he's relaxing, and this is what happens next, verses 7 through 9. It says, But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, so that it withered. 
When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for this plant? And he said, yes, I do. I, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Now, on the one hand, Jonah continues to sound like an emotional teenager, right? Again, on the other hand, I could see myself being just as dramatic if it's above 78 degrees, right? All right, I'll stop with the temperature comparisons. We're like, we get it, Matt. You're a white, pasty baby when it comes to the heat. I am, yes. But God asked Jonah, notice he asks him a second question. It's essentially the same question, but instead of just asking Jonah if he has a reason to be angry, God specifies, can you really be angry about this plant? As if to say, did you have anything to do with this plant? Did you plant it? Did you water it? Did you create it? It's amazing that God is working behind the scenes throughout Jonah's life. It's a perfect picture of how God works through situations and through creation and through nature. He literally brings up a plant in a night. Have you ever seen that before? No, if you love plants, you know it takes a lot of time to nurture them and to love them. And even still, they may not grow up to be what you want them to be, right? Shanna loves her plants, but she loves them to death a lot of times. Anyone else can agree to that? It's okay. She has a lot of love, just not a lot of attention sometimes. But God is working behind the scenes of Jonah's life. And you see multiple times, if you look through chapter 1, chapter 2, in chapter 1, God brings a storm. In chapter 2, God brings a fish. In chapter 4, God brings a plant, and then he brings a worm, and then he brings a storm. If you want to get to the heart of the issue, heart of the problem, you need to be, number two, willing to compare situations. Compare situations. When we're dealing with a problem in our life, Everything kind of compiles and stacks up against one another, right? We put a fence over an offense over an offense. What is Jonah actually upset about? Is, is he truly upset about the plant? No, the plant's just kind of a, a nuisance, right? It's disguising itself as the actual issue. I bet in your life you have nuisances, right? You've got annoyances in your life, but... If you really thought about it and you compared it to the larger issue, you would see it's not really worth getting upset like you thought it was. That's why God asked specifically this time, are you really angry about the plant? Is, is that really what you want to make this about? It's like when you're arguing with your spouse, you've got an issue with your spouse. I don't know if anyone else has these kind of problems. But you say, remember 57 days ago when you went and on your way home, you got ice cream and you didn't get me any ice cream? And you're like, what does that have to do with anything that we're talking about right now? You've just piled on. And just for the record, if anyone were to do that in our relationship, it would be me, not her. Just so, we, just so we're clear. I'm the one that remembers things that I should not. But what, what do we do? We stack up things and say, remember this happened and then this happened and then this happened? 
And instead of actually adding to our argument, adding to our point, we're actually taking away from what really matters. And so we have to compare the situation and say, is this really a big deal? The fact that someone cut me off and trapped, should that ruin the rest of my day? Jonah is trying to pull another offense between him and God. And thankfully, in God's patience towards Jonah, he calmly compares the plant to the real issues that Jonah is facing. Compare situations. And not only do we need to compare our own situations, but think about comparing ourselves, how we respond in situations, to how other people respond in situations. Because I bet there are times when you do something wrong and you ignore it. But if someone else were to do that, it becomes a big deal. I assume none of you would accidentally cut somebody off in traffic, right? No one would do that. You, you don't speed when you're out on the highway. You stay probably five, to be safe, five below the speed limit, right? Just to be safe, that's probably what you guys do. You know, we all do these things, and if we do them, we excuse them, right? We say, well, I'm, I'm in a rush today. I've had a rough day. This has been bad. But if someone does that to you, you're like, they should be thrown in jail. You cannot trust them on the road. They are reckless. I'm going to call 911 right now and report them. Right? When we compare the situations, we compare how we act and how we would want to be treated to how someone else acts. I think sometimes when we're trying to get to the heart of the issue, we have to be ready to compare how we would want to be treated with how we actually treat others. What issues do you choose to be upset about and which ones do you ignore? God asks, do you really have a reason to be angry? And then he switches it. He says, do you really have a reason to be angry that I've given the people of Nineveh a second chance? Do you have a reason to be angry about this plant? And that brings us to our last point. And I've tried to be careful to not use this word a whole lot leading up to this point. But I believe that we can get to the heart of a lot of our problems, a lot of our issues, and reconcile them with people, reconcile them with God by choosing one thing, one, one decision, one choice. God is trying to make a point to Jonah and he finally spells it out in these next two verses. Read 10 and 11 with me. It says, And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. God is asking Jonah to compare the situation between the plant that he did nothing for and yet he's angry about and compare that to the thousands of people that could, he, that could die. The thousands of souls that are on the line in this moment. In getting to the heart of the problem, our third point, I encourage you to choose mercy. Choose mercy. God is exposing to Jonah the pity that he feels for the plant, but the lack of mercy he feels for the 120,000 people whose souls are on the line. 
God is saying, you're not seeing the bigger picture here, Jonah. I'm trying to get you to see your issues, and you care more about this plant that died, that I created, that I made for you, and yet you do not want me to care for the thousands of people that I have also created. When you line those up in comparison, your anger and your pity, Jonah, they look pathetic right now. This looks hypocritical. Should we not want the best for others just as we want God to give us the best? The heart of the problem for Jonah, what has been his issue for the entire story, is that Jonah wanted judgment instead of mercy. The whole reason he didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place is because of this. Read verse 2 again. Show verse 2 again. It says, Jonah says, That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are gracious God and merciful. Jonah's saying, I, I ran away because I know you're a merciful God, and I did not want to see mercy for this people that did not deserve it. How ironic for the man that should be dead at the bottom of the ocean if it weren't for the mercy of God. That should be dead at the hands of the Assyrians if it weren't for the mercy of God. And yet, because of the mercy of God, yet he wants to see firsthand the destruction of thousands of people wiped off the planet. The heart of Jonah's problem is that he wants mercy for himself and for his people but he doesn't want mercy for his enemies. Is our initial reaction to desire mercy for our enemies? For that person that backstabbed us at work? For that person in our family, in our life that told lies about us? That said things that weren't true? The lesson of Jonah is that it reminds us that God is the God of all people. If I could explain the lesson of this entire book in one thing, it's that God is the God of all people. That God loves every single person, even those who have done the worst things you could imagine. The people from Assyria, these are terrible people. They have tortured people. They have killed children. They have raped women. They have done horrible things. But God desires to give all people a chance for mercy, to change their life. God says these people don't know their right hand from their left hand. When he says that, what he means is they don't know what's right or wrong. They need to be taught that there is an almighty God who is just and to know what is right and wrong. I also think it's ironic that God also adds after that the cattle to end the story. He's like, also, if you're going to Okay, maybe you don't care about the people, but think about the steaks that would be lost. Think about the hamburgers that would be lost if we just destroyed this whole city. I don't know if that's what God meant, but it just seems like an additional tag note that I would not have put there. As if to say, Jonah, you don't even care about these people. Do you care about the cattle? Because all you seem to care about is this plant. And these people don't deserve a second chance, but we know mercy is not getting what we deserve. Mercy is not getting the destruction that we should because of our sin and grace. It's getting what we don't deserve. And grace is getting what we don't deserve. Let me, let me explain that again. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Grace is getting 
what we don't deserve. Mercy is the salvation. It is being saved from what we should have in eternity away from God. And grace is the salvation. It is the gift that God gives us to have relationship with him. And we need to remember we are all in need of God's mercy. We are at the mercy of God because we've all sinned. And don't get me wrong, let me pause for a second. I'm not saying there shouldn't be consequences for bad actions, okay? I'm not saying that there should not be justice. If you go the next book over after Jonah, it's the book of Micah. He's another prophet. And in Micah 6, 8, he says the Lord requires this, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Our God is a just God. But he says, but will you love to do mercy? Will you choose to love to do what is merciful to those? Justice is good. We need justice. We serve a just God. But if we didn't serve a merciful God, we would all be headed towards hell. We serve a just and a merciful God. I love this quote from Abraham Lincoln. He said, I have always found that mercy bears richer fruit than strict justice. Isn't that true? The fruit of mercy in our lives allows for redemption. If we serve God who is just but not merciful, guess where we'd all be headed? We'd have a death sentence. We are all the recipients of God's mercy. We have all received God's mercy, so should we not all freely extend and give God's mercy? Are you hearing me this morning? I believe that the heart of a lot of our issues, a lot of our problems, is we desire, we don't desire to extend mercy to our neighbor. Because it's difficult. It's hard to desire mercy to those that have hurt us. It challenges us to think differently and put ourselves in someone else's shoes. The mercy of God's challenging, but the mercy of God is also consistent. And it's to each and every person on this planet. Brent, can you come up and play as we close? So now you might be thinking, okay, Matt, well, that's, that's fine. We, we should desire mercy. How do we increase our mercy? How do we have a greater desire for mercy? We get closer to people. I believe the reason that God has so much mercy for us is because he sees every part of our life. No one is closer to you. No one knows more about you in your life than God. And yet he is the one that desires mercy for your life. What did Jonah do after he gave the message? He left. He disconnected. He separated himself from the people. The further away you get from people, the harder it is to have mercy and know about them. We have to desire to, to draw closer to one another. The further away we get from people, the easier it is to judge someone when they're far away, right? It's easier to judge someone when they're farther away. It's harder to show them mercy when we don't know their situation. We don't know their life. Jonah has distanced himself from the people. And it would appear as if he truly never desired to serve the people of Nineveh. 
I think Jonah was simply going through the motions of what God asked him to do, but he actually had no heart for the people. Jonah quit serving the people, and when we quit serving people, we actually quit serving God because that's one of the things God has asked us to do. How you treat others shows your heart for them, but also your heart for God. Why don't you stand as we close? I'm going to reread the very last verse of the book of Jonah. It says, And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? This right here is the last verse of the book of Jonah. After Jonah says, I'm angry, after he says, I'm angry enough to die, those are his last words recorded in the Bible. Think about that. God asked, should I not have compassion on these people? That's how the book ends. It ends on a question that never gets answered. We do not know for certain what what happens to Jonah. We don't know if he changes his mind or he doesn't. I would suggest that he doesn't. Simply because if he did, why would we not want to record that reconciliation in the Bible? Just my guess. And this question right here that doesn't get answered, I think it is left unanswered for you and me to say, will you be willing to have mercy to those who have hurt you, who have treated you poorly? Will you choose mercy instead of justice? It's sad that we can have, as Jonah, we can be a voice for God, we can have a relationship for God, but refuse to show mercy to those who God created. And I take this question for you and I, will we have mercy on those around us? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we close this time? Thank you for listening to today's message. The Gathering is a place where you can belong to a church that loves you, believe in the God who is bigger than you, and become who God created you to be. For updates, service times, or ways to get involved, check out thegathering.online. And if you enjoyed listening today, consider rating it or sharing it with a friend. We love you. The best is yet to come.